Everyone okay? All right. It's so hard to preach to people with masks on, I tell you. Nothing tougher. Let me come back a bit. Get a reverb. Okay. Um, good. Just a few practical things quickly. Don't forget, uh, we've got these amazing business cards um, to go in your wallets uh, about the church. Has anyone given away their card? Remember, we all gave... Woo! Moira! Okay. Ah, yes, well done. One, two. Any more cards given away? One, two. Only two. Three. All right. You, okay. You get another one. I, I have to give them out now. So you, you, get, you, get, you get a bonus one now. And uh, there we go. I'm going to pass that all the way. Oh, Hugh, you weren't here last week. This is the, so you can invite someone if they live in Kampala to come, come and visit church. There we go, guys. If you didn't get one last week as well, come at the end. Um, so the idea behind this is that as you're talking about church, um, you can say, oh, you know, I go to this great church. Love you to come along. And then it's all there for you. And you've got the map. You have the, the mission statement, knowing who we are, what time we meet, etc. So uh, please do grab those. Um, well done, you guys. That's great. I didn't give one away. <laughs> Terrible. <laughs> Not leading by example. <laughs> Good. Okay, so as, um, as uh, Monica said, we've been doing this great series on relationships. Uh, God's all about relationship, isn't he? The Trinity. It's all about starts and finishes of relationship. You know, it's the whole story of the Bible. It's about love and relationship. So if you remember, um, we had one on uh, marriage. So we kicked off of marriage a couple of, well, a couple of months ago now, almost. And then we had singleness, listening to Monica. I almost wanted to be single again. It was such a brilliant talk. I was like, wow, what did I miss out as I was single? So enjoy being single while you're single. And if you're single all your life, that's brilliant. And if you end up getting married, fantastic as well. Um, and then we had uh, the parenting day by the nobles, uh, the, the wisdom, the decades of wisdom that they brought. Um, sorry, two decades of wisdom. Uh, which was an excellent talk as well. Um, and then we had Kimberly come in and do a talk about uh, healing. And that's just really important. You know, you can't have healthy relationships if you're carrying around past hurts. Yeah. And so she really spoke well into that about positioning yourself and getting yourself ready. And then Alistair on, on, on being a husband. He's, he's, a, he's an amazing husband. I can tell you from everything I've seen, he's, he's, a, he's a fantastic benchmark for us in how to be a good husband. And then, of course... Beth on wives, uh, what's it like to be a wife? And uh, again, I'll be biased, she's my wife, obviously. So, uh, it, was, it was a good, a good talk as well. And then last week we had the Q&A. I'm gonna try, it was recorded on two tracks. I'm trying to work out how best to get that posted for you. But there's some great questions last week. And if we can get it online, all the rest are online. Um, hopefully that'll go online soon as well. But just some really good questions and some really wise answers. We flew Bobby in from America uh, to, to help with that. Uh, and can we flew two people in for you? I mean, you, you can't ask for more than that. Well, they were here, to be fair. I can't lie. They were here already, but it was, it was so good uh, to have them. So um, today we're going to be focusing on friendships. We're going to be focusing on John in particular. Um, and we're going to be looking at John uh, 15. You can turn there if you want to, just to be ready. John 15, 12 to 15. Uh, and I thought it's just such, obviously we want to focus on Jesus Christ. Next week is Easter Sunday. Um, as said, today's Palm Sunday. Uh, and I'm not preaching directly on that, although this does relate into it. And I, I just want to say this about that moment, really, because it's worth just keeping it in mind as we head into Easter. As Jesus comes into Jerusalem, 
you know, this great tension, isn't there? There's this excitement amongst the people, um, and that's why they're out in their throngs, and they're, 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 they're like, like, here's the Savior. You know, if you remember, they're under the, 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 the oppression of the Romans, and they're thinking, here's someone who's going to come and save us and bring freedom to us. The problem was they were thinking in the flesh and in the worldly sense of right now, he's going to come. And it wasn't quite the way that they thought it was going to be. And in fact, as ever with God, it was far greater than anything you could imagine. Okay, but just remember, it's just such an exciting, it must have been such an exciting and incredible time. But as well as that, last thing to say on that, is it was this huge tension. If you ever watch those Hollywood movies that sort of get up to this crescendo, and it's, it's the climax of the whole thing, and it's all leading to this, to this time, and, and, and the whole city was on the edge of tension. Okay. Um, it's just, well, I just want to say that to honor the day that it is, the week before Easter. Okay, so it's well worth, I would say, just go through uh, the, the Gospels and just, you know, choose one of those Gospels and just go through that and remind yourself the season we're in. I really encourage you to really dive into your Bible this week as you lead up to Easter Sunday as well. It's really the cornerstone of our faith. You know, Christ dying on the cross for our sin so that we have an eternal relationship with God. There's nothing greater than that. Okay. Um, so, friendship. I want to start uh, just with a, a silly American joke. Sorry about that. Um, but you know me, I, I like a little bit of humor um, before we start unpacking uh, John 15. Uh, not long ago, there were three friends who came to New York City. Uh, we've got a skyline here. We've got New York City here. And as you know about New Who's been to New York? Has anyone been to New York? Sarah, Trina, Jerry, yeah? Okay. What, what is it striking about New York? Is there anything striking as you walk around New York? Not friendly, is it? But noisy. noisy. What about the buildings? High, lots of high, lots of really high buildings. Yeah. I thought the last thing I want to be in New York is to be a postman, if to take post at the top uh, of one of those one of those incredibly high towers. And um, what happened? was that these three friends, they decided to stay in a hotel during their visit in New York. And it so happened their room ended up being on the 60th, 6-0 floor. Okay? And the policy of the hotel was every night at 12 a.m. midnight, okay, the elevators were shut down for security reasons and also because of the noise and those sleeping at the hotel. So on the next day, the three friends rented a car and went out to explore the city. They enjoyed the movies, the concerts, and everything that's remarkable about New York. And at one point, they remembered they had to get back to the hotel before 12 a.m. But when they arrived, it was just after 12 a.m. So the elevators were now shut down. There was no other way to get back to their room but take the stairs all the way to the 60th floor. All of a sudden, one friend got an idea. And he said, for the first 20 floors, I'm going to tell you jokes to keep us going up the stairs. And then another said, well, I'll tell you what, between the 20th and the 40th floor, I'm going to share some wisdom with you, okay? Um, and then they said, for the last 20 floors, we'll just share some sad stories. I don't know why. We'll share some sad stories. So one of the friends starts with jokes, and they're laughing, lots of joy, and they reach the 20th floor. And then for the next 20, they share, this next friend shares lots of wisdom. So they learned lots, and they felt wise and clever. And they get to the 40th, it was now time for the sad stories. So the third friend starts with this. My first sad story is I left the key for our room in the car. 
That's terrible. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> so good. Okay. <laughs> right. Friends. Aren't friends great? Yeah? Hands up if you've got a friend in the world. Have you got a friend? Just four of you. Okay. For the rest of you, my gosh, I need to help you. Okay. Five of you got friends. Okay. Friendships are amazing. And we can look at Jesus Christ for the benchmark of good friendships. Okay. Um, See, Jesus gave everything for his friends, and you can see that through Scripture, his knowledge of God and his, even his own life. Jesus is our model for friendship because he loved us unconditionally without any limits, yeah? And he makes it possible for us to live a life of friendship because we have been transformed by everything that he shared and everything he has done for us, okay? So let's read John 15, and let's unpack this a bit. Jesus says this, this is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. No one has greater love than this, to lay down one's life for one's friends. You are my friends. And if you do, that's if you do what I command you, I do not call you servants any longer, because the servant does not know what the master is doing. But I have called you friends, because I have made known to you everything that I have heard from my Father. Such a good passage and so incredibly powerful. Let's just get the context of it. I mean, what's interesting in the Christian circles, okay, is you'll hear words like sin, redemption, atonement, justification, repentance, born again, okay, at the center of conversations about what it means to live out and offer a life, uh, out the offer of salvation made available through the life and death of Jesus Christ. However, the word friendship, you don't really hear that. I haven't heard many preachers. In fact, I don't know if I've had any preachers on friendship. It does not figure prominently in such a theological world. Since friendship is normally relegated to the secular realm, as exemplified by the prominence of friends and the plots of the television shows you watch, the movies you see, okay, and the books and novels that you read. Yet, as the quote from the Gospel of John shows us, okay, nothing could be further from the truth. For Jesus, friendship is the ultimate relationship with God and with one another. Let me say that again. For Jesus, friendship is the ultimate relationship with God and one another. One of the most common verbs for love in Greek, okay, which the New Testament is written in, okay, I'm not going to say this right, is philio. Who's, who can speak Greek? Hugh, you can speak Greek. Philio. No, I must say hi to Hugh. I'm sorry I didn't say hi. Oh, no. Hugh is a legend. We haven't seen him for a while. Welcome this morning. It's good to have you with us. Um, I always love our pre-service prayer meetings when Hugh's in the house. He, he, he's, this, is a fr- this is a guy who's a friend of God, yeah, and he just lives it out. Okay, so, okay, if Hugh doesn't know either, then I'm just going to say philio, all right? Um, the Greek word for friend, philos, comes from this verb. So in the New Testament, a friend is immediately understood as the one who loves. So translating the Greek and English, the one who loves. So friendship was an important topic of the Greek and Roman cultures in which the early church took shape and the New Testament documents were written. Aristotle, okay, a classical follower, okay, uh, a philosopher, sorry. Aristotle, who was a classical philosopher, um, friendship was a key social relationship. In the democratic ideal of the Athenian polis, which means city, friendship exemplified the mutual social obligation on which the city, the polis, depended. Okay, so the very fabric of of the culture, um, the Greek culture, which influenced so much the time in which which this was written, okay, the Bible, um, 
friendship was a key part. And, and Aristotle actually said this one time. He said, but it's also true the virtuous man's conduct, conduct is often guided by the interests of his friends and of his country, and that he will, if necessary, lay down his life in, on their behalf. And this is doubtless the case with those who give their lives for others. Thus, they choose great nobility for themselves. This quotation from Aristotle represents the classical idea of friendship expressed by others. Even Plato writes this, only those who love wish to die for others. Only those who love wish to die for others. However, for us in the modern day, our culture, the definition of love and friendship as shown here in John 10, uh, sorry, John 15, 13, to lay down one's life for one's friend is unprecedented. Okay? Most contemporary language about friendship does not speak in terms of life and death. Has anyone laid their life down for a friend yet? No, I presume not. You're all here. Okay. So we celebrate our friends. We eat and drink with our friends. We take vacations sometimes with our friends. We're there when a friend is in need. But the modern ideal of friendship is not someone who lays down their life on behalf of someone else. In the ancient world, however, Jesus' words, they're articulated... Okay, articulated a well-known ideal for friendship. It wasn't a brand new idea. This does not mean that any more people lay their lives down for their friends in the ancient world than are inclined to today, okay? But it does show that the ideal of doing so belonged to the ancient perspective on friendship. An additional aspect of ancient friendship is important for understanding friendship in the Gospel of John that we're now reading. In the first century world of the New Testament, Discussions of friendship moved from a friendship ideal to focus on the more pragmatic realities of patron-client relationships and on the political expediency captured in expressions like friend of the emperor. Okay? What they basically mean this here is that people would be friends because it, it, was, it was in your interest to be good friends with someone of influence. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if you want to do well in the business world, you want to be friends with Monica. She's influential in the business world of as Kampala, okay? And one of the main distinguishing marks of a friend in this context was the use of frank speech, another Greek word, paresia, okay? Philosophers counseled the patron to be on the lookout for whether their friends were speaking honestly with them and openly, or whether they were engaging in flattery to further their own needs. You see, according to, um, to the philosophers of the time, to be someone's friend was to speak frankly and honestly to them and to hold nothing back, all right? And I just want to make this point. This, two important things here, okay? One, be careful you're not just trying to be a friend with someone because you think it's going to help you in some way. You don't go into a friendship and think, I'm going to friends with this person because it's going, to, it's going to be good, not good for me in the sense of just moral growth and conduct. I mean, it's going to help me either financially, it's going to help me because I know they're well connected. Elsewhere in scripture you read about, you know, when you have someone over, you don't put the very important people at the top of the table and the, everyone who's got no influence at the bottom of the table, okay? But you love people equally, yeah? So you've got to check your heart on this. And we're all guilty of this. I'm guilty of this. You know, if someone, at, at the school I work in, sometimes we have ambassadors and we have all these influential people that walk through. I have to check my heart that I don't treat that person any different from someone else who just comes in and one of the gardeners comes in and wants help with their mobile phone. I need to value them all equally and treat them all equally. Okay, so be careful in your friendships and check your heart and make sure you're not being friendly with someone or treating someone differently simply because of their status or what 
they can do for you. The other quick point I want to make before going into the scripture a bit more is that um, it's really important that you, you build friendships where you have frank conversations. So here's my question for you. Do you have a friend that speaks honestly with you? The Bible elsewhere says, iron sharpens iron. That can be a tough conversation. My very best friends have sometimes said the very toughest things to me. Rory, you try and be funny too often. You use sarcasm too much. You cut others down to try and make yourself look good. Yeah? They say that in love, but they tell me these things. These are weaknesses of mine. Yeah? Do you have a friend, or friends, hopefully, that speak truth to you? Or do you have a relationship that's strong enough where you can honestly say to them, you know, I could say to Monica, Monica, be frank to me. What's an area you think I need to work on in my life right now? And do you listen to them without taking offense and make sure they can speak into it? It's so important if you want to mature and grow in your life, yeah? And I know so many people, I work with so many people because they just don't have that type of friendship where people just speak the truth to them, yeah? So that is a powerful friend, okay? And I, I, as I was preparing this, I also sensed that for some of you, you have old friends who you've broken the friendship because they were frank with you and you took offense and you walked away from that friendship. So if that's you, I just want to challenge you to think about re-engaging and working through that, yeah? And now some friends aren't good. They just criticize you all the time. I'm not saying that type of friend. This is the friend that just spoke some truth to you and you were offended at the time and you've never continued that friendship ever since, okay? And I think the devil's robbed you of a friendship that you really needed. Yeah? Does that make sense? Okay. All right. Um, so, the friendship in the New Testament writings here, therefore, were not created in a social vacuum. These two dimensions, okay, of laying your life down and frankness of speech, okay, in the ancient world, the gift of one's life for one's friend and the use of frank and open speech informed the way that the Gospel of John and its readers understood the language about friendship. So, in John 15, 12, 15, which is the key passage for us today on the theology of friendship, Jesus enacts friendship throughout the gospel. But these verses provide the words to describe and name who and what Jesus is as a friend. In John, Jesus is both the model and the source of friendship. As the model of friendship, he calls the disciples to love as he has loved. As the source of friendship, he makes possible their own friendship through what he has given them. So Jesus as the model of friendship. As we've seen, Jesus' words in John 15 would have sounded somewhat familiar to his followers and to the gospel's first readers. As a teaching, John 15, 13 affirmed a common cultural ideal to look to the interests of the other for the sake of the common good. What distinguished Jesus' words from this ideal was not the content, but the fact that Jesus did not merely talk about laying down his life for his friends. Jesus enacted the ancient ideal of friendship. He laid down his life for his friends and for us. The difference here, it wasn't just talk. It was action. And very soon after saying this to disciples, he literally laid down his life. Okay, so Jesus' whole life is an incarnation of the ideal of friendship. What Jesus teaches, he is already living. The pattern of Jesus' own life and death moves the teaching of John 15, 13 from philosophical ideal to an embodied gift. Yeah? Let's just have a quick review of a couple of other passages to give context for this passage, okay? And I'm conscious 
We're at 10 days. We're okay for time. Okay, a quick review. Okay, so here we go. First of all, the good shepherd. This is in John 10. Okay, you can turn there quickly if you'd like to. I'm not going to read the whole of it, but we've got John 10, 1 to 14. But you can just have that in front of your eyes. And, and this is very much where, if you remember, it's about the sheep and Jesus being the doorway to these sheep, yeah? Okay, so in John 10, it begins with a parable about the sheepfold. He focuses first on the gate in verses 1 and 2, and then on the shepherd in verses 3 to 5. This parable gives us a very realistic picture of sheep herding and the role of the shepherd. All right? Everyone remembers this. Do you, everyone, do you want to read it out from memory? Shall I read it? We've got time? Yeah? Okay, let's read it. Here we go. Here we go. Okay, so John 10, verse 1. Very truly, I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate but climbs in by some other way is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him, and the sheep listen to his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out, all his own, he goes on ahead of them, and his sheep follow him because they know his voice. But they will never follow a stranger. In fact, they will run away from him because they do not recognize a stranger's voice. Jesus used this figure of speech, but the Pharisees did not understand what he was telling them. Therefore, Jesus said again, very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who have come before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep have not listened to them. I am the gate, whoever enters through me will be saved, and they will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd, here we go, lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not lay down, does not, sorry, and does not own the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it, and the man runs away because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there will be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my father loves me is that I lay down my life. Again, only to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up. This command I receive from my father. So it begins with the, you know, the parable about a sheepfold. He focuses on, first of all, on the gate and then on the shepherd. Okay? This parable gives a very realistic picture of sheep herding and the role of the shepherd. Jesus interprets this parable by identifying himself with both the gate and the shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and so puts care of the sheep above all else. This is in striking contrast to the hireling who would put the sheep in jeopardy rather than risk his own life. The contrast between the shepherd and the hireling is like between the true and the false friend. The false friend will not be around in time of crisis, but the true friend will be. And this is key for you. You know, you can look back and you can see your true friends are the ones that stand by you through the good, the bad, and the ugly. And you can think now, I can imagine as I'm saying this, you think, oh yeah, I remember so-and-so. But you also remember those that abandoned you. Yeah? And I, I, 
what I can stress in my own life so far is that when I was at university, I was at the stage where I tried to be friends with everyone. I had a lot of friends. I probably had about 30 or 40 different friends I hung around with. But it was very superficial, yeah? And I had a really tough final year at university, and I, that's when I learned who my real friends were. And there wasn't many out of the 40 that I had left, okay? So I want to encourage you to have depth rather than breadth of friends, okay? Don't just try and be the most popular person with lots and lots of friends, okay? You can't, once you get to a certain number, you can't have any depth of fellowship and friendship, yeah? So choose your friends very wise, and I've said this before, I can tell, and you can tell, what anyone is like by finding out who their top five friends are that they hang out with. Because you will become like the friends that you have fellowship with. Yeah? It's very rare I see a person's life and it's very different from their close friends. So if you don't like what you're seeing in your close friends, you need some different friends. Yeah? I'm sorry if that sounds harsh, but it's just so true. It overshadows you. Okay? So just be really aware of that. Okay. Um, so Jesus here is not simply telling a story about shepherds and hirelings, about true and false friends, but Jesus is also talking about himself, about the love that animates everything he does. To make this clear, Jesus speaks directly in first-person language. I lay down my life for the sheep. He talks directly about his own life and death. And for this reason, the Father loves me because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down on my own accord. Jesus is not speaking generally about the gift of one's life for others. Jesus is making a specific promise about his own life. Jesus' arrest and death shows that his promise is true and reliable. Okay, so he's not just saying it, but elsewhere in scripture, okay, and this is very apt because it's, it's, it, we're, we're around this time of year now, okay, but if you think about the time in the garden when he's arrested in John 18, okay? It has really interesting echoes in this passage, John 18, verse 1 to 14, of John 10. Jesus leads his disciples into this enclosed garden. If you recall the shepherd and the sheepfold of John 10, 1 to 5, there's a thief in the garden. Who's the thief in this garden? Because of a J. Judas. Judas, like the thief in the sheepfold, in the Gospel of John, okay, Jesus does not wait for Judas to identify him with a kiss. This is really key, okay? Okay, but because Jesus is the good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep, he goes forward to meet Judas and so deprives the thief of any success to the flock, any any access to the flock. Let me say that again. Because Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life for for the sheep, he goes forward to meet Judas and so deprives the thief of any access to the flock. Okay, so read in light of John 10, Jesus' act of stepping forward to meet those who come to arrest him shows the truth of his announcement and promise in John 10, 17 to 18, where he says he lays down his life of his own accord. He makes a choice, okay? Jesus states explicitly that he chooses the death that is before him. As we read elsewhere, the cup that the Father has given me. Yet for Jesus, his own act of Life-giving friendship is not the end of the story. Jesus does not merely talk the language of friendship. He lives out his life and death as a friend, and he commands that his followers do the same. Okay? Make sense? So far? Okay. What I want you to do, just for, to make it more interactive for a minute, I want you to turn uh, to the people next to you, just want to give you guys about... 
three or four minutes, and I want you, in light of everything I've shared, in the sense of the context, the culture, what Jesus has shown he's done in regards to the sheep and what he does in the garden, okay, I want you to, to focus um, on, uh, on the passage, and I'd like you, okay, so focusing very much on John 15, 12, 15, 12 to, sorry, John 15, 12 to 15, I want you to think, what else about friendship is Jesus showing in this? Okay, what else is he showing you? Okay, and then I'm going to get a bit of feedback and then I've got a couple of final points and then we'll conclude and have a time uh, to have some fellowship together. Does that sound good? Okay, so make sure someone's got a Bible somewhere, either on, on, on their phone, okay, or you have a physical Bible with you. But if you just group in groups of like four or five, don't make it too big because it gets a bit intimidating, okay? I want you can, you can discuss anything that's been shared so far about friendship, but particularly focusing on that passage, okay? Is there anything else that comes that strikes you in regards to that particular passage about friendship, about Jesus, okay, and why it's there for us to read, and what does it mean for us today, okay? Is that okay? Yeah. All right, I can hear the excitement already. Okay, so just get in the group. So we've got one group around here. Here, I've got a group at the front with Monica here. Monica's had theological training in depth. She's a great one to be with here. Right, guys, who's up for sharing? Just a Let's, get, let's get, try and get a couple of points, different groups. Anyone feeling bold? Oh, I can pick on people. Uh -huh. Should I come and pick on someone? People are still discussing. One more time. Right, so any observations? So guys, we just pause for a second. Let's just, let's just share in fellowship together some observations. <laughs> Yeah, okay. What's striking in our sharing is really giving the life for your friend, like Jesus did. Guys, can I just pause? If I just pause, come you carry on in a second. I'll just pause. Jackie? Jackie, I'm going to school teacher, sorry. Just one second. You can carry on this conversation, so off we go. Yeah, okay. What's striking out in our sharing is about giving our lives for our friends which Jesus did and expects his followers to do, you find that some are in your circles, but they can't do it. And if it is you, do you do it for your friends? So it's something that we've observed, and we have to check ourselves and also check our friends if they are really authentic, genuine. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Okay, any other comments? I've heard lots of talking. Okay, uh, many of us here uh, feel like uh, it's hard to call Jesus their friend because they see Jesus as Lord, as King, as Savior, and they just want to worship Jesus. Like, and then uh, physical friends uh, have not been real friends, like what Jesus is talking about in this scripture. So it is still hard to see Jesus being their friend, something like that. And uh, then uh, I feel special that Jesus thinks I am special. He tells me his secrets. Yeah, yeah, it's good. yeah just what What Margaret said and, and Jerry, because, which, because I also find it hard calling Jesus my friend. 
Because he, as he said in that verse in 15, that he's revealed everything. He hasn't held anything back. And that's what a real friend does. Um, good tip for husbands. Uh, to, to be totally open. Those are really, really good comments, guys. Really good. Anyone else? Anything about anything? No? Okay, let's just... A um, couple more things. Um, I'll just be two minutes, and then I'm going to get a few final questions for you guys to chat about as well as that. I think, first of all, it's so what, what Hugh's group over there shared is so important. I think sometimes we have a lack of self-worth. Yeah? I'm not worthy to be a friend with God. Okay? But what you're then saying is saying, well, the cross wasn't enough. Yeah? You're almost saying the cross didn't achieve what God said it has achieved. Yeah? God looks at you right now and adores you and sees you outblemished through the cross. And he wants to be your friend. He wants to be in relationship with you. Okay? And I think with the other striking thing here is you know, the, the opening, opening verse. This is my commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. But you cannot love one another if you haven't got that relationship with God in the right place. Does that make sense? And, it, it's, it's, and the nice thing is, this whole topic is endless. Do you know what I mean? How, how can this mighty, amazing God, who we worship and we're on our knees, at the same time, then we can be this intimate friend with him? Does it make sense, yeah? And I found over the years, there's just different seasons and God relates to you in different ways. Sometimes he comes gently to you and he's gentle and takes you by the hand gently like this and gently leads you. Other times he comes and he rebukes you and just he, he convicts you. It's like, what are you doing? You know, just like a, a father with their child. You know, there's different moments of my kids where I'm playing and I'm tickling, I'm laughing. There's other times I sit down and we have to have a very serious conversation about a very poor choice that that child has made. Okay? So it's a dynamic thing that moves around, okay? That's just really, really important. And I think the other comment as well as that Hugh mentioned was, you know, he's revealed everything, okay? There's nothing hidden. So in good friendships, I'm not saying you have to talk about everything, but it's good that you don't hide stuff from your friend. And one of the challenges is that we always find it difficult to say the last 5% with our friend, yeah? We're happy about talking about different things, but when it gets to something difficult, like you see a behavior or something, you, I don't know about you, but I find it really hard to share that last 5%. <clears throat> but a true friend shares everything. Yeah? So you, you need to make sure that you, you, you have deep, strong friendships that, yes, it's times where you laugh together and everything's wonderful, but there's also times when you challenge and um, you, you call out behavior. Does that make sense? I hope so. Right, so let me just leave you the last few questions. And what you can do is you can get a drink and then continue the conversations. Um, but let me, let me just finish with this. I think, as I was reflecting, I was just trying to think of other times when God talks about being a friend. And this is what really struck me. You remember in the Old Testament, yeah? Um, where we only really see Abraham, and by implication, Moses. So Abraham in 2 Chronicles and Moses in Exodus 33, where they're called friends of God. But here, Jesus extends his privilege to everyone. To all obedient believers, suddenly you can be a friend of God. And that is an amazing thing. And it's not something to take for granted. It is incredible. It's one of the greatest gifts, okay? That you can be a friend of God. I, isn't that amazing? I think so. Let me say again. You can be a friend of God. 
Turn to the person next to you and say, that's awesome. Right, try that again. One, two, three. That's awesome. No, no, let's try it again. That's awesome. Right, here's some final questions. You can talk about that and pray for each other. But I'm also going to say this. Jesus leads by example. Look to him for everything. Okay? He leads, he says it, and he does it. His actions follow his words. Okay? He's willing to lay his life down. It's unlikely you're going to have to lay your life down for your friend. But metaphorically, it means giving everything you have to help your friends, to have deep, meaningful friendships. Okay? He's willing to protect his friends. You should be willing to protect your friends. Okay? He chooses to stay in relationship with us even though he knows everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly about our lives, okay? So, in light of all this, how is your friendship with God, number one, okay? In light of this, how is your friendships with those around you? How deep and meaningful are they? And are you living a life of authenticity, okay? So how is your relationship and friendship with God? How is your friendships around you? Are they deep? Are they shallow? Are you, one of our values as a church is authenticity. Do you have authentic friendships around you? Okay, you can continue that chat now. I encourage you to pray for each other. If you don't have the friends you want, pray for your friends. I prayed years ago when I had very few friends and God brought the exact two friends that I prayed for within 12 months. He will do it. He hears your prayers, okay? Change your friendships if they're not helping you. Look at your friends. Do you like what you see in your friends? Because you're going to become like your friends. <laughs> Choose your friends wisely. Okay, I'll leave it there. Let's just pray for you guys. Rather, thank you for this morning. Um, thank you for fellowship, friendship. Thank you that you call us to be your friend, Father God. And as we head towards Easter Sunday, where you laid your life down to make that possible, Father God, let us not take it for granted, but let us push into your presence, push into a relationship with you, Father God. And may you enrich our friendships as a community of believers, our friendships here, our friendships out in the workplace, and in just the life in general. Let us be incredible friends, Father God, by your gracious, gracious, precious name, Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Right, enjoy your conversations, guys. And when you're ready, you can grab some food. Please remember, we need to be out by 12. So after that, um, in about half an hour, if we can help the guys here, that'd be helpful. Okay, just to honor this place, we want to be clear by 12. You've got time. We try to finish early, so you've got a bit of time to chat. Okay, it's 11.17. You've got 40 minutes. Enjoy. Okay.